Yo, what's good? It's another episode of Real Sankara Hours. Real Sankara Hours. Follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Um, and be sure to support us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash Real Sankara Hours. $5 a month gets you bonus content. Um, interviews, readings, stuff like that. Um, I'm Adam Hudson. Follow me at AdamHudson5 on Twitter. And I'm Peter I'm Gun. Follow me at I'm Gun Peter if you make the mistake of being on that hell site. Um Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm I have not I I probably need to detox from it. Holy shit. Um So we're gonna be discussing well I think a lot of actually a lot of this episode we'll be talking about the election. Yeah. today is September seventeenth, twenty twenty. The election is in less than two months so crazy i i this whole time i was like man the election's like 10 months away (laughs) and then like oh it's actually finally well it's not gonna be over um there's (laughs) whatever happens that tuesday it's not gonna be like you wake up wednesday and you're gonna know who the next president is Um, yeah but uh yeah we i mean we've been trying hard not to like just focus too much on it but then I was like listening to some stuff and reading some stuff and, you know, we started getting bad again. And then it was just like, oh, well, there's always content. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll begin the top of this episode. Um, actually, just a quick update before I forget, because um, the last free episode we did was about this um, hunger strike slash protest in Antioch, California against... Um, police violence and specifically they were trying to um remove a police officer who shot a homeless man in san francisco um anyway yeah we did an interview with them um they quit the hunger they quit the official hunger strike because um the city wasn't listening to them but they decided to switch from an pro a, a hunger strike to a protest and encampment and then um pretty much uh, i think it was today or yesterday um the police and city workers removed the encampment um they gave them a notice to leave and they they said no we're not going to leave until we until our demands are met um and the city didn't the city didn't listen um the city council refused to even bring up uh their issue the the issue at the not this week's city council meeting but the previous week's um so yeah the city workers and police just cleared out their encampment so i was uh, yeah i wanted to go down again to provide support but it was like oh wow like they cleared up pretty quickly which yeah yeah. (laughs) and and it's tempting to be like oh well that's what happens or whatever but like when your stuff get when you get swept like it's a pretty traumatic experience because they just like basically take whatever's there you know very you know disrespectfully by design they throw it all in a truck and then they cart it away then you have to come back like the next day to the police station to get any of it back um and it's very yeah and then they put up or usually i don't know if they were in this situation but then they put up a bunch of barriers in the area and it's yeah i mean it's it's like a tactic of intimidation and terror to to do it um 
which of course is why they do it. But it's 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 fucking yeah. My heart goes out to to those brave people. Um, and it it sucks whenever that has to happen to someone. Yeah, and then also, um, actually, wait, I'll mention this later. But the the main thing we want to talk about, at least at the be- at the beginning, is this um, the revelations of um, uh, hysterectomies at this ice detention facility in Georgia. So. There is a whistleblower named Don Wooten who is who is um, a nurse who worked who worked at an immigration detention center in Georgia, and she said that um, uh, a lot of immigrant women in this detention center were receiving questionable hysterectomies, so basically uh, forced sterilization in these basically yeah. concentration camps. Um, so th- this is, I mean, just, you know, there's been a lot of information reporting about, like, um, how appalling these ICE detention facilities are. But adding sterilizations is just, like, another just yeah, form, it's, of, it's, yeah, uh, form of Yeah, re- it's real abuse. Joseph Mengele hours. I mean, yeah, it's, I, I, hate, I hate to say, phrase it this way in the sense of, like, this is nothing new. Because it is, you know, objectively horrifying in its own right, and I don't want to downplay it. But it is also not surprising in a way. Yeah. That because America has made it practice out of eugenics, mm-hmm. and, you know, especially uh, for sterilization for a long time, and people think about it as something that, like, has happened in the past or whatever, but even if it stopped being an official policy in certain situations, I mean, the medical field is, you know, rife with racism in its own right. And, um, it's, you know, especially prisons, um, in there and detention centers. And I'm sure that this is far from the only place where this is going on. This is just one place where we found out about it. Right. I'm sure this is happening all the time because anytime, you know, there's basically anytime there's a poor woman of color who has a problem, a medical problem, they, yeah, I, the kind of doctors in charge of taking care of that woman, I totally see how they'll just be like, oh, and now we, now you can't have any children. Um, because we don't like, like, we don't like, you know, undesirables breeding that's 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 part and parcel of the settler colonial project is preventing uh poor dark people from from breeding yeah Uh, yeah and that actually gets to like one of the main points i wanted to address because yeah like you know in prisons um uh like inhumanity is pretty normalized in prison and detention centers and i'm speaking as someone who's been to guantanamo so like this you know these sorts of things you know like definitely egregious and horrific but um they happen in environments where like the these sorts of things are encouraged so i agree i agree with peter like i'm pretty sure that this is probably just the only place we're hearing about it but it's probably going on more widespread than we think or that's or that's publicly available that we know of but um the the 
one one point I wanted to make about this is uh, even if it's not like let's say some sort of official ICE policy or official Trump policy to do this to immigrant women in ICE detention facilities, um, it definitely fits with the overall white supremacist vision of making America a purely white country. Um, because you know if you um look at and study the far right and white supremacists um they have deep deep anxieties about birth rates particularly birth rates of non-white darker skinned quote-unquote undesirable people because for them keeping the those white birth rates at a certain level helps ensure political power and economic power for not just the immediate term but also for the long term so that's why like that's why a lot of white supremacists get up in arms about interracial dating and immigration because they see interracial dating yeah. and immigration particularly immigration from brown countries they're not really complaining about immigration from Europe they're specifically worried about immigration from people from darker countries because once they start coming into the United States and um assimilating into this thing called this melting pot of america it upsets their vision of maintaining america as this purely white country now this is a little bit different than in latin america particularly brazil and also uruguay where uh they brought in more european immigrants to increase the white population so with the united states we're a, a, we're more harsh with immigration especially when it comes to people who are immigrants from right now right now yeah but what you know in latin american countries particularly like brazil it's a little bit different they have they've had a long-standing policy i don't know if it's still in effect today but i do i do know historically they've had this where they really encouraged european immigration to countries like brazil and uruguay and also i think um argentina as well to increase the mm-hmm. white population's numbers and also um uh basically erase the traces of of black people and blackness in their country. So this is so, yeah. Ar- so Argentina especially because there was actually like a pretty significant black population yeah. mm-hmm. in Argentina that just ended up leaving because they were right. just like okay this Argentina is too racist and that's why Argentina is 97% white. Yeah, and also has a very large Italian community. There's a lot of Italian culture and Italian people in Argentina. By the way, Jair Bolsonaro, he's at, he's Italian as well. By mm-hmm. the way, Italian ancestry. Uh he's not Portuguese. I mean, he speaks Portuguese, he's Brazilian, but his ancestry is Italian. Um and you, this this whole white whitening policy, that's why it it was to welcome people like him to basically bolster white people's numbers in order to maintain white power in that country and and counter the cuz Brazil has a very 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 large black population so their anxiety is like okay like we have all these black and indigenous people how are white people going to maintain power with the the United States it's white people are still the majority and that's how power is maintained but if there are too if there's too many like people from mixed race families or if there's too much immigration from non-white countries 
um, yeah, it upsets that basically that balance of power. So I say that because when I was thinking about this forced ster- sterilization at a immigration detention center, I thought, huh, you know, this actually does fit with this overall vision of making yeah. America a purely white country. As horrific as this, as this practice is, like if the goal is like, especially with people like Trump and the people he's around and the ideology that they promulgate a lot more openly rather than coded yeah i can see like why like this sort of policy this sort of thing would be normalized and why until someone you know blew the whistle on it yeah and and definitely shout out to don wooten for for taking the brave steps to to inform everyone but it is true that yeah i mean this is a worldwide thing i mean israel has like been in the news recently for basically sort of either like telling women that they were getting a shot that wasn't and it ended up being a uh, a birth con- the birth control shot or stuff like that uh and not just Palestinian women but like Israeli citizens that were are African or African refugees like black Israeli citizens or African refugees um yeah over because israel is extremely concerned about birth rates because they need to have a a garrison population and uh apartheid south africa (laughs) engaged in a whole number of just horrifying just the absolute most grotesque and horrifying types of population control experiments including you know intentionally infecting people with aids and all sorts of stuff um it's and and, you know, back at home, the birth control pill was tested on Puerto Rican women, essentially without their knowledge or consent. And I always find that interesting because it was heralded as this technological breakthrough that ushered in second wave feminism. And it's like white feminism is really, is <laughs> literally founded like on the like on the violence and sterilization of uh, Puerto Rican women. So yeah, th- something that, to think about. I mean, yeah, because you know, I as a man, I'm pro-choice. I don't, I don't. Yeah, it's you know, I'm not trying to. I don't. I don't think it's men's business to tell women what to do with their bodies, just as a matter of principle. But on the other hand, like I can see, like I know um, there are some African women who are activists who are very critical of abortion for pretty much the same reasons you stated, Peter. Is that like oftentimes yeah. like yeah like sometimes like these sorts of policies will be used on poor women from you know darker countries and uh yeah like there's there's a divide between how they feel about birth control and abortion versus how white feminists feel about birth yeah. control and and, and all and all and all of those voices and perspectives are part of the reproductive autonomy debate and yeah mm-hmm. obviously we support reproductive autonomy. But that, that like there, there's more to it than just that narrow question, right? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like the history. You know, people bring up Margaret Sanger, and it's like that's not necessarily that doesn't necessarily relate to what Planned Parenthood does now. Yeah, but yeah, Planned Parenthood does a lot they, more than yeah. Yeah, obviously, but stuff is tied up. Like there are you know intertwined histories. And without saying any more so that anyone else gets mad at me, I'm just going to leave it at that. Um, (laughs) 
Well, this I've is learned the hard way. But... Yeah, I mean, this is this is. I mean, yeah. Shout out to Don Wooten. Um, I think there's some petitions to support her because you know she really she's taking her neck out on this one, similar to great whistleblowers like daniel ellsberg and edward snowden so you know like i i can only imagine but what's... but but the difference between her and snowden is she's not going to get made into the same kind of folk hero i'm sure right yeah well don wooten is a black woman so um right yeah uh uh but you know yeah like definitely shout out to her and uh i'm, I'm gonna try i think th- i'm gonna try to find it if if there's a good petition for people to support because i i am actually kind of worried about whatever repercussions she's going to face so um yeah i mean we'll definitely stay up on this story yeah um and not let it get lost yeah yeah so anyway that so that yeah that's about the basically four sterilizations at a ice in Irwin county detention center in georgia just to be clear right yeah yeah (laughs) yeah so um anyway so that actually leads um to the next topic that's also an update so i think a a couple episodes i think like maybe two weeks ago we talked about um portland not quite police but this is like uh marshals and federal agents um yeah this is on september uh 3rd um basically marshals and federal agents shot a man shot and killed a man named michael forrest rinal who um basically was an antifa supporter and he was suspected of killing um a far-right militiaman in in portland and he rinald did an interview with vice news before he was killed saying that like he admitted that he killed the guy because he was trying to protect someone so there's been new details about that so apparently there was a witness um uh yeah, there are a number of witnesses. Yeah, actually, because so they did it in the middle of an apartment complex in yeah. broad daylight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this <laughs> is in an apartment complex in broad daylight, and this witness says that the police, the federal authorities, shot and killed Rhinel without any warning, or without even attempting to arrest him in the beginning. So yep. y- yeah, so this is, uh, and apparently, you know. it's it's pretty questionable if he actually reached for a gun but yeah like they did not yeah i mean they haven't produced a gun as far as i know yeah they haven't recovered one and he's in his house so Mm -hmm. it's not like there's any place he could have put it so uh yeah uh what's that about (laughs) u.s marshals yeah Um, so he yeah he was shot and killed september 3rd in lacey washington um the, yeah, yeah, this is, and on top of that, uh, Donald Trump, when he was being interviewed on Fox News, and he was asked about um, the Rhino, about the Antifa guy who was killed by uh, federal marshals, and this is what Trump said. He said, this guy was a violent criminal, and the U.S. marshals killed him, and I'll tell you something, that's the way it has to be. There has to be retribution. So this Retru- is the pres- retribution. Let's let's yeah. I believe there's in that interview he, he said like, and I said go get him. I think there's something there's a quote in there to that effect. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I want to say retro. Yeah. Or, go ahead. Oh. I was I was trying to find the quote in terms of exactly yeah. what he said, <laughs> but but he definitely said that there has to be ret- retribution, 
in that he was justifying. He said that's the way it has to be. There has to be retribution. Right, right. And let's be very clear. What he's saying when he says that is that the death of a far-right racist militia member requires retribution from the federal government. Right. Think about, let that one sink in. Because I think people aren't necessarily realizing, like, that's what's, that's what he meant when he said, and, you know, I guess I'm glad Trump came out and say it. That's one of the, I guess, benefits of Trump is that he'll just say the quiet part out loud. And so he's saying that, yes, like, Patriot Prayer people are our guys. <laughs> our By our, I mean the U.S. government. That if you mess with one of them, you're messing with the entire government. Um, think about that one for a second. And then tell me how uh, how we're going to vote out fascism. <laughs> I'm sorry. And before we get to voting out fascism, this that's why I mentioned when it came to the, the previous topic we were talking about, the forced sterilization at the ice camp in Georgia, that, you know, like... Uh, like these these things are connected because like i don't i don't think that the forced sterilization is just they're just doing it just for the sake of it like i think there's there's some sort of like there's some sort of larger pattern going on that it fits into which is um okay yeah like there are people in this country who control you know very high levels of government who envision that America's a white country and they want to keep it that way. And they hate these Black Lives Matter protests. They hate immigration. They hate all this stuff. And they're willing to fight tooth and nail in order to preserve it. And again, one of their anxieties is birth rates among non-white people, darker people, people who are undesirable in their eyes. So when you have a group of poor brown women who are immigrants at these detention centers um yeah i can see that being an environment where forced sterilization even if it's not mandatory it's just like eh, go ahead and do it you know because it's, it, it fits in with this larger goal and then on top of that when you have someone like reinald who is at these blm protests and he's shot and killed and the president said this is basically retribution for what he did, which was kill a far right militiaman, you know, they, they, these are, I mean, white supremacy has always been in the United States, but the it, it's, a, it's a lot more open and emboldened right now. And I, I agree with you, Peter, that I think it's important for to for that to for for that to sink in. In order for people to really understand that this is pretty much where we're at right now. This is it. This is where we're at. Which gets to, yes, the next issue. Which is voting out fascism. Or this election. This The, the topic we've been trying to, we've been avoiding for a while now. I think we've done a good job of not getting too sucked into it. But I think, it's, yeah, it's worth talking about it. But this fucking election uh, did you, uh, is there something you want to say peter then I'll yeah i found the quote um oh good okay so it's, i mean it's a trump quote but he says it wasn't a trump hat it was a religious hat whatever that and, it, what? and he shot him cold he's talking about um 
Okay, we sent in the U.S. Marshals for the killer who shot the young man on the street. Cold-blooded killed him. He didn't like his hat or something. It wasn't a Trump hat. It was a religious hat. And he shot him cold blood. Two and a half days went by, and I put out, when are you going to go get him? The U.S. Marshals went in to get him, and they ended in a gunfight. The guy was a violent criminal. The U.S. Marshals liked it. Killed him. That That's the way it has to be. There has to be retribution when you have crime like this. You can't. There can't be guys standing up that want to fight. You can't throw bricks at people with shields. There can't be guys standing up that want to fight. There can't stand up and fight the system and fascism. Anyway, yes, but and and so this is the thing because I see people saying, you know, oh, I don't, I have my problems with Joe Biden, but fascism is on the ballot and. Uh, I just, when people say stuff like that, I have to wonder if they understand what fascism is and how they think they can vote it out. Like, Right. Right. Because what does that make Biden? Like, what is so, is he anti-fascist? Like, what is he in relation to yes, Trump? Yes, Bi- Bi- Biden's 100% Antifa as well. Right. He's, uh, he, Biden can go on and on about the CNT FAI's role in the Spanish Civil War and how they were betrayed by the Stalinists because he's pure anarchist. Um, yeah, I it's like this. This is the weird thing about it is that on the one hand, it's like they're everyone's at the fever pitch of like, and they were four years ago, and they were, honestly were eight years ago, and you know when. This stuff ramps up. Everyone's at a fever pitch of like, this is it. You know, we the country literally cannot take another four years of this. Um, but then I'm, you know, driving to and I very well, much apologize. Oh, well, actually, sorry, I want to interject. I think technically this country could take another four years of Trump, but a lot of people are going to suffer. Yeah, you know, like, I, yeah. I mean, like, the question a, is, what do you mean by can it can take it? <laughs> right, because there's there's going to be like, and what I mean by that is, I'm not trying to downplay like the dangers of a second Trump presidency, but what I'm saying is that like, there are going to be some people who are actually okay with and benefit from a Trump presidency, and then the rest are going to like your life is just going to suck even more. Like it's still yeah. going to be bad, and it'll probably get worse. I'm pretty sure it will get worse with another Trump Trump presidency. I don't, I don't think that's debatable. But like, you know, when they say like our country can't take a four another four years of Trump, like what does that mean? Because the thing is, it's like that's speaking from like I feel like when people say that they're sort of telling on themselves that like things were probably fine for them before <laughs> Trump was in office. Yeah. And then now Trump's in office like, oh, my God, we can't take another like four years of this. I, like, I can't uh, I can't take another four years of waking up and having to hear about his tweets. Right. I, I love I love boomers who like their main. I feel like there's a lot of boomers whose main problem with Trump is that he tweets like mm-hmm. that. And that like if he didn't tweet that, like every actually they wouldn't have nearly as much of a problem with him. It's just literally that he tweets. Um which I do find a little bit funny because I do but, think, like, yeah, I don't, I don't want to like downplay, um, the danger to Trump because I, I, you know, like, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I, the, yeah, the I mean, like, but it's like, like quite literally, I think about it, and I, and I almost get to the point of being like, look, man, 
friends and comrades are gonna i mean they're starting it now and if trump is in office for another four years i mean they're gonna friends and comrades are gonna start getting arrested and rounding up and Mm -hmm. they're gonna go all in on you know red scare 3.0 or whatever and if biden is in office you know they won't do all of that i mean they'll do their democrat shit to stymie the left but they're not gonna do some fucking polymerates type shit if people even know what the polymerates are look them up because that's the kind of stuff america that's the way america historically treats the left right um and that they haven't done it yet you know i've you know i've certainly (laughs) been around people saying some kind of wild stuff and i've certainly said some wild stuff myself on social media or in public or whatever, wondering, like, uh, am I someone going to come for me for this? And, you know, they may start doing it because it's not that hard to find. Like, that's the thing about social media and the Internet. They can have records of all of it. So they it won't be a question of did you say that? It's just going to be a question of how many people do they want to arrest? Um, and that that will probably happen. Uh so I, I, yeah, but, all right, you can go ahead. So, so this is okay. Cause Peter, you and I were talking about this last night. Like we were just chatting and then like, you know, this, this made me think of like, okay, this is something we should talk about for this episode. Um, t- to contextualize, I want to explain like where Biden is at in terms of, um, uh, polling and how he's doing. Um, he's, he's not doing well. Like I'm, I'm trying to find like actual polling, yeah. but the thing is, okay. So there's two articles that I'll, I'll talk about or that I'll mention like the one yeah, is from, and it, and in a pandemic and recession of world historical proportions um, and with the entire West coast experiencing unprecedented wildfires, by the way, and what they climate. So there's a climate crisis going on as we speak on top of a once in a century pandemic and an economic depression. And social unrest against so all these things are coming together. So you know, NPR and Time like they have these articles. So NPR is the article and the headline is Republicans are knocking on doors, Democrats aren't. Biden's campaign says that's okay. The Time article says Joe uh headline oh, Joe Biden. people are canvassing for Trump. Holy shit. Yeah. So the Because the they didn't even do that four years ago. The time, so in the Time magazine, the headline is Joe Biden is running an invisible digital campaign in all important Michigan. That's making some Democrats nervous. And also Joe Biden, um, he is losing among Latinos in Florida. Like, whereas with Clinton, she was she was doing um, a lot. Yeah. A lot yeah. With Obama Florida. won Florida um, mm-hmm. with all the, with all the gusanos. And also that's not the only people who live in, those aren't the only Latinos in Florida. It's a lot of different people in Florida. Right. So yeah, it's just, yeah. they have, they have the most kind of organized political power, but uh, yeah. It's, and specifically like those kinds of the Miami Cuban types, the conservative ones. The... Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's bad and it's, it's funny. Cause it's like, Oh, who built, what candidate had built a durable turnout mach- machine, especially among Latinos? Oh, I can't think of their name. Oh, maybe you should have done something such that you could have actually enlisted th- those operations and that those armies of volunteers to like go out for you. Maybe you could have like 
offered some sort of policy position, maybe Medicare for all or something like that. I mean, like if you actually like they they like, yeah, like you get you you've been asking and we've been talking like, are they trying to blow this thing? And I like to think that they're not trying to. And it's just like Democrats just blow blow shit. And that's just what they do. But it's just like, guys, I mean, like, like, yeah, who the fuck's going to fucking canvas for Joe Biden? Like, who's going to like, it's not fun work. And it's something that like you have to you do it because you are that you care that much about like the situation in that candidate. And it's just like. So we're going to do that. And 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 specifically because that's the whole pitch. The whole fucking pitch of the Biden campaign is you won't have to think about this. So, when it comes time to mobilize people to turn to drive turnout, you won't have that because your whole thing was just sit back and watch it happen. So, congratulations, you fucking politics genius brains. Here you are. So so I this is from uh, uh, BBC News on the U.S. election, and, and they have, I think this is from, it's from the BBC article, yeah, BBC poll, polls. They said Biden is ahead of Trump 50% versus 43 and then um, apparently, so after that, not really in October surprise, but the Bob Woodward revelation that Trump intentionally misled the public about the dangers of the COVID pandemic um now biden is in a lead uh over trump but the thing is my point is that like even though biden's ahead um this is too close like a little like given 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 yeah he's, given, he's, all, he's... given given all the things that are going on right now like yes. the pandemic the economy social unrest and now particularly in the west coast where i'm at in california um these unprecedented wildfires um where the smoke is so bad that some of it is going to is blowing to the east coast so (laughs) this this is this is this is um uh, the phrase like oh this is the most important election of our lifetimes i'm not going to say that but this is like all these things should make this election yes yes the trump should be toast i mean Biden is like leading Trump the same amount that Hillary was at this point four years ago. So that should not give anyone any level of reassurance. And it's just like, you're like I, uh, earlier on, people were like, no, we have to blow this thing out. And it's true because if you can't get it, be close enough because Republicans will just steal it like they did in 2000 and 2004 because they know how to do that. Somehow, Democrats only know how to steal elections when it comes to stopping Bernie. Funny how that works. <laughs> um, but uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's like, these are, like, the economy's in the toilet. Like, these are the conditions that should be disastrous for an incumbent. Like, yeah, yeah total like disaster. These, and, and so, if the Democrats blow this one, it is, like, it's one of the biggest fuck ups in like possibly all of modern history. Like it's one of the biggest blowing, like blow blown opportunities in like all in modern history. Like I don't understand how you could fuck this up so badly, except for the fact that it's the Democratic Party. And well, 
this is what I was saying to you last night, and I, I said it in a tweet that part of me thinks that the Democrats probably want to lose, or that they don't care about winning. Like it's either those two things: either they 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 want to lose to Trump, or they don't care about winning. And either way is still bad because we've been like, okay, like we've been the the the. The Democratic Party establishment, all their, you know, sort of consigliaries and apparatchiks and all those people have been like, all right, you fucking dumb shit, Bernie bro, progressive lefty, dirty socialist or whatever. Like, yeah, you know, like, yeah, you may like Bernie, but he's not going to win. He's never going to win. Give that up. And it's like, okay, well, guess what? Bernie didn't win. He dropped out. He punked the fuck out in the middle of a pandemic when his policy of universal health care would have saved a lot of people's lives. He punked the fuck out because he was intimidated by the Democratic Party. So congratulations. Um, you were successful at uh, pressuring Bernie to drop out, right? Um, so, okay, so Ber- Bernie's, not, Bernie's not in the primary. And guess what? Bernie is, uh, he's, out there camp- he's out there supporting Joe Biden and telling people, telling his base, to support Joe Biden. Okay? So y'all got what you want. You you got like somebody who is not Bernie Sanders. You got not just Joe Biden, but Kamala Harris. So you you got everything. So it's like, okay, fine. We're at this point where even people who are Bernie bros as much as people on on the online left you know say how much we hate Biden at the end of the day, I think most most of them are going to vote for Biden. At the end of the day, I think most of, a, a lot of them will. Not maybe not all, but I think like a lot, yeah, a lot, a lot of them committed will. committed lefties. I think will. I mean, you know. <laughs> but but this my point is that like we're at a point where, like okay, uh, Trump is in office. Um, most a lot of people who are in these kinds of conversations are going to vote for Joe Biden. But my question is okay to those people who are like you know who yeah who are i think happy at like yeah bernie didn't fucking win haha my thing is like okay you guys are supposed to be the smart ones what the fuck is joe biden's plan to win because i don't see a plan mm-hmm. i i see no plan from the biden campaign or yeah. the democrats to, to not just win this election but to ensure that the party is stable for the next twenty to and forty years, and has a future, yes, and has and it has it has a viable future beyond Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi. Because no matter how you feel about Pelosi and Schumer, like their days are numbered, like they're they're old, like they're 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 going to have to pass and, the and at some yes, point. and they're just increasingly just mystifyingly out of touch. Like yeah, there's stuff Pelosi does where I'm just like, how do you how can I always used to wonder, like, is it possible to ever actually know the entire pulse of what the country's thinking and feeling at any given time? But there's, you can certainly not, you can certainly mess that up. And it's just like, oh my God, just, just, how can anyone, like, look at, like, what she does? I mean, I don't know. Plenty of people are like, yeah, no, fucking resistance slay queen, you know, but it's just like. <sighs> this is this is why I think that either they don't want to win or they don't care about winning. Well, they, it's not like none of the people who have the power in the Democratic Party, none of their power or future or income is really threatened by Trump winning. Exactly. Certain, and so they're able to they'll be able to maintain 
their positions and their income streams mm-hmm. without having to deal with, you know, actually governing. Because here's the thing. If Biden wins and, you know, especially if the Democrats take back the Senate, now they now it's on them. Now the pandemic and the recession are on them mm-hmm. and the climate situation. All that's on them. They have to do something about it. Yeah. And they don't. And their But their whole thing was we just don't want to think about it at all. Right. Like yeah. they just get back to normal. We're just going to continue the neoliberal consensus and uh, and you won't have to think about politics because it'll just run in the background when it's like, dude, that's not what the situation calls for. Right. Like, right. Right. are you fucking kidding me? And And so I think maybe on some level. People, there's people that are realizing, like, yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't want our names on this mess. Probably better to keep it, to to keep it on Trump, and then you know maybe 2024 we'll come back with a real progressive or something. Yeah. I don't know. People, I mean that this isn't like, like all the talk about 11th dimensional chess or whatever is not that. Like, like these people are not very smart. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a genius, but I know they're not smarter than me. <laughs> Um, or honestly, any average person, because they are average people. They're just average people with enough narcissism and delusion to think that like they are genius politics geniuses, but they're basic as fuck. Um, and yeah, they don't, they, they don't want any, they, they are, that's what I was trying to say. They're not doing 11 dimensional chess. They're just trying to talk themselves into a social fiction that they can tell their friends to justify what it is that they do. Cause if you were to ask any like consultant or quote unquote strategist, like what do you actually do? I mean, they would not want to give you a straight answer. Like, like why any of them are nest are needed is they're not, I mean, they're not, but they, well, yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cause those people like those consultants, those talking heads, they're going to have a job no matter what. They'll have a job either in some sort of Biden administration or even if Biden's not in office, they'll have a job with the second Trump term where their main role is to talk about Trump's tweets. So their particular position is not threatened either way. So they don't really have a stake in terms of which way the election goes. They'll, They'll go whichever direction. But... You know, when I was saying about like, and th- that's why I said like, you know, when they people say this country can't take another four years of Trump, well, technically it could because there are going to be some people who are going to be perfectly fine even if Trump wins. Um, it's just like for a lot of people, it's going to suck even more. People like us, yeah. right? And it's going to yeah. suck with Biden and it's going to suck even worse with Trump. But and my point is that like, if they were concerned about winning, because p- put aside like, whether they believe in progressive values at all, because I'm not even assuming that. I'm not assuming that they actually believe in the things that they say to people like us and Bernie people. I don't think that they that they're so concerned, like like deep down in their heart, they're concerned about getting progressive stuff, but they just believe in a like believe in a system or whatever. I don't even think that a lot of them even really believe the same things that we do which is again like why like you know it it does help to make a distinction between the left and liberals because we don't all want the same things liberals don't want the same things that people like certainly like a pan-african leftist like myself like they wouldn't want the same things that i want right yeah i mean yeah they don't want the overthrow of capitalism in the american empire that's 
and they, and they don't want like a, they don't want like a United States of Africa either. Like they're not looking at that. But I I think um I'm not assuming that they want the same thing as I do, but I do think that like it is in their interest to have the Democratic Party be a stable party in the long term. I think it is in their interest to have that. And I think it is in their interest for the Democrats to win when it comes just to holding on to power, and that's it, and securing particular positions for people that they want in power. So, like, I don't know, a Nancy Pelosi 2.0 or whatever, or a Chuck Schumer 2.0, whoever they want. It's in their interest to win and take power in this, not just the House, but the Senate and the White House, and then appoint the people that they want to enact their agenda, which, you know, is not going to be the stuff that we want. But it is in their interest to win. So even with that, if it is in their interest to win, and if it is in their interest to get someone like Trump out of office, they should be fighting a lot harder than they are to win. They should be putting way more resources, which they aren't. They're not putting, like, there's no, like, particularly in in a state like Michigan, which Clinton lost in 2016, um... Because here's the thing with Biden, like I'm, you know, I'm not. Yeah, like and, a, and and what happened to all that money Bloomberg threw at Biden or whatever? Or those fucking Democratic Unity Funds or there, all that, all the money, all the fucking slush fund and dark money that was supposed to show up, like they can't hire any fucking canvassers. Like, like what is this shit? Like that, that is, yeah, that's the stuff where I'm like, yeah, I, they, uh, yeah, they, they may, are they might have already thrown in the towel on this just because they do not want to have to actually do anything right Um, yeah that's that's the thing that's that's what i'm getting at is that um if if they were so concerned again just about winning i don't care about like what they say that they want or like oh we're actually on your side like we believe in you know all the checkmark anti-racist stuff like i don't i don't i don't don't believe that they believe that shit or that they're really that they're really committed as much as as they say they are like i don't i don't believe any of that but i do believe like yeah like on some level they are concerned about power and holding on to it because it benefits them it benefits them and people like them to have power in those political positions right like that's what politics is about it's about power and competition over resources and being willing to, being willing to fight for your vision and fight people who get in the way of your vision like that's what politics mm-hmm. is it's not about like you know sworkinest uh intellectual moral appeals it's not about that it's about fighting for what you want and fighting people who get in the way of what you want that's what politics is so if that's the case so since that's the case um if you know if it if it's in their interest if if they want to win what they should be doing again i'm assuming that they just want to win i'm not saying that they care about the same shit that we that we do because they don't but if their concern is just about winning and making sure the Democratic Party is stable in the long term, not just for the next two elections, but for the next 20, 20 to 30 to 40 years of the party, they're going to be have, be have, have to make certain moves. So when it comes to this election, Joe Biden is going to have to regain Michigan, um, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin those states like he's gonna have to pick up those states yeah he has yeah, that's the bare minimum at the bare minimum and th- he has no fucking ground game in michigan which is like wait a minute hold that doesn't make any sense um and i think yeah. biden biden would have a better shot of winning michigan than clinton because that's the thing with biden like i don't i don't think people 
hate Biden. I think people hated Clinton way more than they hate Biden. So Biden, I think, has like people don't love him, but I think he has more just he's not as he's not as repulsive to the average person as Clinton was, which that was always an issue with Clinton is that Clinton just had way too much baggage that like she wasn't like even though she won the popular vote, like she wasn't going to win enough you know, to, to, for it to matter in the electoral college, particularly versus someone like Trump who has like, yeah, like that kind of just po- uh, right-wing populist nationalist appeal. But someone like Biden, like, even though he doesn't have that kind of appeal, like he, you know, he's not odious to the point where the average yeah. Joe wouldn't want to vote for him. So it's like, okay, even with someone like him, I think has a shot of beating Trump, but he's not even doing the bare minimum to beat Trump, which leads me to believe that the only logical explanation for that is either the Biden campaign and the Democrats don't want to win or they don't care about winning. Because at the end of the day, even if a tr- if Trump gets reelected, their jobs and livelihoods are not immediately threatened. Yeah. So they're not putting in the fight that they should, which goes back <laughs> that, to... That's, e- that's a very good point. Right. They're not putting in the fight that they should. They have no skin in the game. They don't. They don't have. That's why I was saying is like it. It only makes sense that they don't care if if Trump wins. Yeah. Be, and I think also I'll go even further. I think they would rather lose to Trump than win with Bernie Sanders. Because, well, that's definitely true. And yeah. a lot of them, I think, basically were on the record saying that. Yeah. I suppose if you were to get them, you know, if you were to like drill on them, like, do you actually care? I mean, probably the answer you would get is that, yes, they want to win, of course. That's why they got into politics. But they also want to please their donor base. And they... Exactly. Doing the second is more important than doing the first. And that's what people... That's why I said what I said. Is because at the end of the day, the people who control the Democratic Party are the health insurance companies, Wall Street, all those big corporations, the the, the defense contractors, all that stuff. They're going to be fine no matter who wins, and they don't care like how this election goes because especially during the time of a pandemic, do you really think that the health insurance companies who who then healthcare lobbyists who pay these democratic politicians are they going to want a single payer healthcare program during a pandemic? Are they going to want? Mm. Are, and also like when it comes to this vaccine, wouldn't they? Wouldn't some of those people want to profit from it in terms of how available it is? Right, so like th- these are the things like the the, the things that our, our our current crises re- require are going to be things that actually really do upset the very people who support the Democratic Party. Yeah, like if yes. you're tr- <laughs> if you're trying to address a pandemic, that's going to require like pissing off the health and in- health insurance industry, and the Democrats aren't they're not going to be willing to go that far when it comes to these goddamn fucking wildfires in the, in the West Coast, and we've had terrible air quality for pretty much a month right now. It's going to mean um, pissing off the fossil fuel industry and all these other extractive industries and, and fracking and all that. I mean, Gavin Newsom, like he's he's been, you know, uh, making good speeches about the wildfires and climate change, but he still supports fracking. Like he's, I think he still he still gave some. Oh my God, he still gave some fracking permits in California. <sighs> so this is the thing. So it's like the Democrats, like you can't you can't serve two masters. The Democrats, like at least in public, are trying to serve two masters they're trying to say yeah we're here for the people but at the same time they're serving the very forces that screw people over in the first place it's a big 10 of course you can they they're polyamorous adam right of course they can and so that's why i I, that's why i think like at the end of the day 
they're not going to put in the fight because the people who, you know, um, t give them their freaking checks are the very people who are responsible for the crisis that we're in in the first place. And I don't think the Democratic Party, I don't think they're going to upset that gravy train, no matter how bad this crisis is. And so that's why, like, okay, like, why, why aren't they putting in this fight to defeat Trump? Oh, because they probably don't care. At the end of the day, even if Trump gets in office, they're not going to be hurt that hard. But everybody else, yeah, like, yeah. we're going to get hurt. But that's the thing is, like, look, like, these people don't give a fuck about us. Yeah, they don't. I, and I, they never did. And, I, and, yeah, and in that vein, we have an article that, mm -hmm. that, um, I told Adam about before we started recording, and he was it champing at the bit to go off on it. But I just wanted to say one thing. Yes. Oh, because you were talking about uh, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and you know basically the Rust Belt. And I just, I do not the things that caused the Democrats to lose those states that were supposed to be strongholds forever. A lot of that was NAFTA, and a lot of it. Like, was the fact that anyone was talking about it. And I just don't know if Biden is in a better position, is in any real position to get them back just because for the people in those states where it's like, they, like, you can see, like, the failed promises of America. Like, it's very visual and that's visceral in ways that in other parts of the country they can hide it and put it out of sight but there are many parts mm. of those states where right, you can yeah. see it yeah. and like there's and yeah Trump's not going to make any of that better but neither is Biden and Biden's made no promise and they don't have any other understanding that like Biden is going to make anything better so that's what I want to say about that but yes this article that's a week, a few. It's from September seventh, so it's a few days old, but uh, it's a doozy. Uh, let me just read the title, and then we'll get into it. Purity test: colon. <laughs> Democrats clash over Biden diversity goals. So, let us begin. Black Democrats are urging Joe Biden to resist growing pressure from the left to impose an anti-Wall Street purity test on his hiring decisions if elected, warning that it threatens the party's desire to boost diversity in powerful executive branch posts. God damn it. I, when Peter showed me this and I saw it, I said, um, this is like you know, putting blood in the water where a shark is around. Like, this article is a <laughs> tiny drop of blood, and I'm the shark, and I'm just like, oh, <laughs> fuck. Like, what is this? <laughs> um, uh, Before I go on, like, I, I do want to mention, because I think this will actually tie into this overall election thing, particularly right before we go into this article, but there was a recent uh, um, uh, survey done by Pew Research, um, which fits with the other poll that we mentioned last time that support for black lives matter has gone down so um among between june and september so this one's more recent than the previous one that's why i want to bring it up um yeah so among uh white people latinos and asians support for black lives matter decreased between june and september 
for black people, it remained pretty consistent. It only increased by one percentage point. So in June, 86% of black people supported Black Lives Matter. In September, 87% supported Black Lives Matter among white people. In June, 60% of whites supported Black Lives Matter. Now in September, 45% support. Um, amongst Latinos in June, 77% supported Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah, that's in June. And then in September, 66% of Latinos supported Black Lives Matter. So that's a drop of 11 11 points for white people. It's a drop of 15 points. Amongst Asians, um, it dropped from 75% supporting Black Lives Matter in June and then down to 69% in September. So that's a drop of six points. Um, which, you know, I think uh, part of what's happening is that you know the, all the um <clears throat> the sort of hubbub around you know people protesting in the streets um you know in reaction to the murder of George Floyd like i think people are starting to just not care about it except for black people because this is something we have to deal with but this ties this ties into i mean this whole election coverage and where the mood of the country is at and then also connects with this fucking article <laughs> democrats clashing over biden over diversity yes. goals it's like so it's basically okay so this, no, it goes i want to i want to yes let me read the whole thing good if, yeah if i may so you can respond to it uh progressives have been calling on biden to take a hard line in filling out his cabinet with groups such as justice democrats and sunrise movement demanding that he pledge to a quote unquote zero current or former wall street executives or corporate lobbyists to, to his administration. But black Democrats on Capitol Hill and on K Street, ooh, nice. K Street, by the, for the record, is the, like, stand-in for where all the lobbyists are. Yeah. If someone says K Street, they're talking about lobbyists. But black Democrats on Capitol Hill and on K Street say that's in direct conflict with the party's overarching diversity goals and would keep many people of color, including those with ties to the financial world, as from ascending to key positions long dominated by white males. So, so this is this is this is the achievement of black people. Like all the, you know, all the slavery and beatings and torture we've endured. The the best we can do is um, work uh, in the financial sector. The very same financial sector, by the way. Um, that benefited from the slave trade. That That's what our freedom's about. Yeah, anyway, go on. We've got to fix all the problems that were created over the last four years, said Representative Greg Green Meeks, Democrat in New York, a senior lawmaker on the House Financial Services Committee and a member of the Congressional Black Caucus. We're going to need every hand on deck. Black business leaders that Democrats have floated for potential Biden cabinet positions include Roger Ferguson, the CEO of financial services giant TIAA and one-time vice chair of the Federal Reserve, as well as John Rogers and Melody Hobson, the co-CEOs of Ariel Investments. The emerging debate over whether corporate insiders should be in the mix is shaping up to be a major point of tension in, within the party as it tries to unify around Biden's campaign. Um, we have seen the effects of con Corporate control over the American government for our entire lives. It has blocked universal access to health care, real action on climate, on the climate crisis, and started endless wars that waste taxpayer dollars if we need to, we need to invest in schools and jobs, said Emily Mayer, 
political director of If Not Now, one of the groups trying to discourage Biden from appointing executives and lobbyists. We reject the false choice between having the people leading our country represent the diversity of our nation and removing corporate control from our politics. Um, the long-running lack of diversity in top economic jobs has come into stark relief as the U.S. undergoes a wrenching national debate over excessive police violence in black, um, against black Americans and the deep economic disparities that minority communities suffer. A new study by Georgetown Law professor Chris Brummer found that there have been only 10 black political appointees in the history of federal of the federal government's independent financial regulatory agencies, including the Federal Reserve Board of Governors, the Securities Exchange Commission, and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corp. President, uh, President Donald Trump's cabinet-level appointments have been mostly white, with HUD Secretary Ben Carson, Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, and SBA Administrator Javita Carranza among the few exceptions. Um... As for Biden, the former vice president's economic platform includes a pledge to improve racial equity in part by promoting, quote unquote, diverse leadership for all federal agencies. Um, (laughs) At the same time, progressives are waging a fight that has been underway in earnest since the Obama administration to keep Wall Street titans out of government posts. The case made by Elizabeth Warren and her allies is that Big business has long held too much influence over Washington policymaking. The way to stop it is by appointing more industry watchdogs to pivotal economic positions. Warren took on um, President Barack Obama in 2014. She derailed his appointment of investment banker Antonio Weiss to the Treasury Department. Obama nominated Weiss to serve as the Treasury's undersecretary for domestic finance, but he dropped out following backlash from Warren and other Democrats. Weiss instead went on to serve as counselor to then-Treasury Secretary Jack Lew, a post that did not require Senate confirmation. Since then, personnel's policy has become a major rallying cry for progressives who also pressed former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton to swear off appointments of corporate insiders during her unsuccessful run for the presidency in 2016, when Biden became the presumptive Democratic nominee earlier this year. Progressive groups asked him to pledge to appoint zero or ferment, zero current or former Wall Street executives or corporate lobbyists or people affiliated with the fossil fuel health insurance or private prison corporations to your transition team, advisor roles, or cabinet. Now, some Democrats are beginning to warn Biden that his priorities should be helping overly overlooked communities break new ground in government rather than adopting an anti-Wall Street purity test. Um, I don't know if you want to step in at any point. Uh, it, you're it's close to done. You can you can keep going. Uh, I'm just uh, ri- yeah, I'm just writing good. down what I have to say. Okay, so okay, okay. That's <laughs> all right. Had Hillary Clinton won back in twenty back in sixteen, there were several names of African Americans that we wanted to put up for Secretary of Treasury for Deputy Secretary of Treasury for the Fed. Meek said many of those individuals, not all, but many of them, having utilized these, this rule would have been automatically eliminated. Paul Thornall, a lobbyist who served as an aide to former Vice President Al Gore and Senate Democrat leader Tom Daschle of South Dakota, said, There are voices on the far left that are pushing it, and I don't know, and what, what I don't know is who is pushing back. If there is a recognition that you need more diversity in the economic 
policy roles of a Biden administration, then you're going to have to be really intentional about finding, about going out and finding those people, said Thornell, who advises Democratic leaders on the Hill about improving diversity in their own staffing. They are they typically are not in leadership roles in regulatory bodies. They have not been previously in senior roles in other Democratic administrations. You're not going to pick them off the Hill. A key point made by critics of the anti-Wall Street approach is that minority candidates may be among the first with the opportunity to build wealth for their families, creating pressure for them to enter the corporate world before joining government. Our path to becoming a lobbyist looks different than our colleagues. Oh, God. <laughs> yes, yes. It's your your lack of being a lobbyist is your privilege talking. It says Nicole Venable, who founded a group of women lobbyists of color known as the Black Girl Magic Network. There is more toggling between the Hill, the administration, and quote-unquote downtown. For many of us, we have to come out at certain points and work in the private sector to either advance or to make money in order to stay working in politics and policy. Aaron Klein, a Brookings Institution fellow, hello, who served as the Senate Banking Committee's chief economist under Democrats, pointed to financial disparities as the reason why the approaches may conflict. I do not believe the goals are intention, fighting the revolving door and promoting diversity among regulators are means, not ends. Both fighting the revolving door and promoting diversity share the same goals of a more just economic system. However, as means, they do conflict with each other. The root cause of the tension between fighting the revolving door and promoting diversity is the lack of wealth in black and minority households. The net worth of a typical white family was almost 10 times greater than that of a black family, according to the Brookings Institution. Well, thank God the Brookings Institution was there to uh, to verify this. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been true. Progressives mm-hmm. don't dispute the financial burdens paced, faced by potential minority appointees, but they say it should not be an excuse to allow corporate influence to go unchecked. To say that we would have to have people who are currently working in private equity or Wall Street or the banking industry to take up senior economic jobs is absurd, who said Jeff Hauser scrutinizes executive branch appointments as director of the Revolving Door Project. You can come up with a very rich set of potential appointees of color without taking on people who are currently and very recently closely identified with high finance. The Biden campaign did not respond to requests for this issue. Requests for comment on the issue. Senator Sherrod Brown, who would become chair of the Senate Banking Committee and play a key role in confirming presidential nominees if the Senate flips to Democratic control, said diversity would be one of his top priorities. Brown is a Wall Street watchdog in his own right who has fought presidential appointee because of their ties to the finance industry. Senator Brown believes we need to all we all need to work to increase the diversity of financial regulators and agency appointees. Brown spokesperson Alyssa James said, asked about concerns around excluding potential appointees. He stands by that commitment and urges this administration and future administration. Okay, and that's the end of it. Um, <laughs> so, um, so, I have my response, but let me ask you this question, Peter, before I go on. So, when you read <laughs> this, when you read this article, what were, what 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 did you get like in terms of what are supposed to be the tangible and material benefits to black people as a whole by having more black corporate lobbyists working for biden uh i don't think that anyone was 
even attempting to make that argument. <laughs> right, exactly. Because it's, it's, no, it's nowhere to be found in this article. Because what they're doing is what's happening is that like individual black people who are consultants and like wall street people are getting jobs working for biden under the rubric of diversity so the benefit is for them individually but that yields very little to no material or tangible benefit to black people as a whole and I want to make that distinction because after Reconstruction, there were black people who got jobs in the political machine, but that didn't stop segregation. It didn't stop racism. It didn't stop the Klan. It didn't stop um, Black Wall Street being destroyed. Like the, the 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 problems that persisted in Black America still persisted after Reconstruction, even with black people getting jobs within the political machine so this idea that okay if we get like more black people um who are working for the finance sector in the biden administration that there's no that does not yield an immediate tangible benefit to the masses of black people the most immediate benefit is that some individual black person got a job under the under the guise yeah. of we need diversity. And it also didn't even say that like this diversity would help diversify the perspective of the Biden. Oh no, in fact they were making the opposite argument, which is basically that like, yeah, you need like Wall Street guys to who are also black to uh <laughs> Like, like they are fundamentally at odds with the goals of the, with the progressive goals of trying to regulate Wall Street and uh, rein in the impunity and absurdity of of the rule of finance capital. Yeah, and here's the thing. Here's here's the, the problem that like, that doesn't get mentioned is that, the very sectors that those black people are working for actually do hurt large numbers of black people yeah that that's the problem subprime that, mortgages baby right right yeah all, all all that stuff yeah i so, i also i also have a hard time believing that you know the world of high finance is just like overflowing with black people and yeah you know so much more than like progressive the world of progressive regulators I have a hard time believing that, like, yeah, no, that 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 world is just so much more diverse. You know? Yeah, I don't I don't believe either. And also, like, they're assuming that um, smart, sharp, progressive black people don't exist in other dis- sectors that are not as destructive, like environmental justice or education or even different sectors of like working on economics. But like from maybe like a more progressive economic standpoint, like like there are black people like I, I some of them some of them I know personally. Well, I I know I know them, so there are black people who are working in different progressive like progressive professions where they're you know like their job isn't to work in the finance sector. Like they actually are doing work that actually does contribute to the greater benefit of black people as a whole. So. If they're trying to make this diversity argument, 
while also being in line with the real grassroots demand of of um, Black Lives Matter when it comes to police accountability, it would make sense that actually, if you're going to hire people, like hire black people in these offices, it would make a lot more sense to look for smart, educated black people who work in other professions like civil rights law or education, environmental justice, or or any like they exist, but they're so focused on trying to get finance, which goes yeah. back to, which goes back to what I was saying is that like th- th- this is this is the these are the forces that really um that the Democratic Party really work for. So they're going to look for the black people who work in those sectors. Even if like again, don't like those Wall Street corporate America sectors, those are the very same forces that are responsible for bleeding black people dry. Like though it's it's really those in uh, like to make it even more specific, like just in just in my experience of going to city council meetings when it comes to gentrification, housing, and policing, the the kind of people who push back when it comes to demands for let's say affordable housing or police accountability, the people who often push back the most are not like you know republicans or like you know uh like buck sexton or like or mitch mcconnell (laughs) types like they're not the ones who you have to deal with and worry about in terms of getting pushback because they're they're really like in a state like california like those republicans don't really have that kind of power the the people you have to worry about the most are white liberal types in real estate and black people who work with them basically mm-hmm. those are the people oftentimes who when it comes to those demands they're the ones who give the most pushback so this idea that like okay we're gonna have you know some black person in finance or real estate and that'll be diversity yeah well okay how are they what's what's gonna happen when like joe biden has to decide on you know financial regulation and particularly how it impacts the lives of the masses of black people like, are those black people that he hired, are they going to go against the whims of Wall Street inside no. with black people who are suffering? Like, no. Absolutely not. And, no, and not. no, if anything, and this is a pretty known tactic among the, you know, corporate slash political world is like, if someone's a token, mm-hmm. then they have to do what the machine tells them because they make exactly. it very clear. Exactly. You're only here as a token. Exactly. So don't you even think about trying to fight on you know for your on your own terms um yeah they and but the thing that gets me about it also is like why do you like they're talking about like oh well yeah we were gonna have a black fed like first of all putting the cart before the horse assuming he actually wins but you know they have to work all this stuff out beforehand but like oh we were gonna have a black fed chair and a black you know sec head um but then the fucking evil white left you know said no and it's like, no, you got, no, you fucking weren't. Biden right, wasn't yeah. gonna point. Biden wasn't gonna do that. No. He's gonna point his fucking buddies that he hung out with in fucking Delaware from the credit card industry and Larry yeah. Summers and all those fucking assholes that he's known for 30, 40 fucking years. He's not gonna. He's not gonna stick his neck out and like diversify the Fed. What makes you think he would do that? Like. Like, that's the thing, that's probably the thing that really gets me, it's like, 
this is all t- it's tilting at windmills in the sense like no he's not going to do that the only reason the only thing that they'll do is try like they will try to do it to stage a fight so that they could blame the white the quote unquote white left um for that person going down but it this is i mean admittedly this is like kind of a small an almost arcane issue but i find it instructive of the kind of you know the the machinations and the different ways that this stuff intersects in the democratic party because it is yeah this very kind of narrow and kind of i won't say byzantine but it's like getting keeping the thread of identitarianism in the sense of like okay yes well we are supporting black people into the highest positions like collectively so that they can enact policies that will benefit the masses like that like you can't even find that thread it's just like we were gonna grant and we were gonna groundbreak the fed or something and it's like but you weren't like we all know that you weren't like like this is fucking you know like <laughs> the, the american rhodesian himself joe biden like like what are you talking about the dude's a fucking racist he just is able is and you know that like like you people who have had to deal with him behind closed doors i'm sure they i'm sure they've got the worst stories of everyone but they have to keep the facade up and but like no you weren't like i that's my perspective and also another thing like the the part about um it says a key point made by critics of the anti-wall street approach is that minority candidates may be among the first with the opportunity to build wealth for their families creating pressure oh, for them to enter it. the corporate world before that's, joining that's not that's first of all that's not even really true in the sense of like yeah, black no. people black people on wall street like come from pretty well off families like yeah, nobody that's... nobody nobody's hard scrabbling out of the ghetto to work for goldman sachs like don't 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 lie to me don't don't and... insult me and and those people probably exist, but they're not like the majority of people of black people. Yeah, that's not that's not who they're talking about. It's, right? Yeah, it's like it's fucking and, crap. And also, like, I mean, the whole like, oh, we have to work for Wall Street to build wealth. Like, that's bullshit. Like, black people, <laughs> like, despite, yeah, like, look, I've been writing Wait. about like this shit for years. Like, black people have far less wealth than white people, but there are other ways in which black people have. Well, there are um, other well. Th- have have created and pulled wealth together and i'll also add like first these kinds of people who are like i had no choice but to work for goldman sachs in order to build wealth well, it's like well you're someone who's already a political sm- future right yeah. but it's also like okay you're someone who's educated and you know all this stuff um i know a lot of educated black people who are have like a similar educational background who don't work for wall street and find other ways of building wealth. And oftentimes what they do, at least the ones that I know of, um, oftentimes what they'll do is they'll pull their resources together to support um, black institutions and black businesses. That's another way that black people can create wealth on our own terms outside of Wall Street is, I don't know, supporting black businesses, um, so building and supporting black institutions, um, or SUSUs and, and all that other stuff. Um, I mean, there's this guy Jay Morrison with the Tulsa Real Estate Fund. Like he, like he, um, he doesn't work for Wall Street, but he knows about finance. Um, but you know, he a lot of his stuff is basically, um, 
helping black people like buy property and stuff like that i mean there's all kinds of like okay different arguments you can get to about like the black dollar and black capitalism and all yeah. that but the thing is my point is That's that, that. <laughs> these people all, are not on that level right this is what i'm saying is that like people like jay morrison and those types who are all about like you know maybe starting their own black businesses they don't have to work within goldman sachs to do that like there are other ways that black people there are several other ways in which black people can build wealth the difference is that um there are a lot of institutionally racist barriers that prevent us from accessing wealth but black people still still find ways because we're resilient people of working around that so like this idea like oh i had to work for goldman sachs well well, it's bullshit so yeah well i i think the way they're thinking about or the way they would try to justify it is like yeah that's the Rahm Emanuel path to politics like you have to work on Wall Street or for a consulting firm for a few years to uh right. or more than a few years to build up the connections and to yes to build up enough wealth such that you can afford to run for office and so therefore then you you know then you can get in there and then you can do all this stuff but it's like Wait a second! Aren't there other forms of po- political organizing? Oh, like yeah. you're telling you're telling me this is the only way anyone's ever done politics is by working on Wall Street for ten years? Are you fucking kidding me? Like, right. Right. but but these are the people who don't go into politics for a goal for trying to fight for a group of people. These are mm-hmm. people who want careers in politics. Exactly, and that's the difference. Exactly, that's the thing. That's the thing you have to understand. These are the careerists. They want a career in politics. And so to get a career in politics, you have to start off in some sort of finance or management consulting or something like that, that shows that you are like a competent and capable professional. And then you can build contacts with the bourgeoisie. It's, I mean, yes, this is like what I find funny about it. It's like, OK, so you're admitting this is a bourgeois party. And that's how you work your way up in a bourgeois party is through the fucking financial system. So thank you for being clear about that. Well, yeah, that's that. That's why. Remember, I asked my question is that are there is there (laughs) any tangible material benefit from the masses of black people? No, there isn't. Because, yeah, there this is about careerism. It's not about Mm -hmm. um, trying to fight for a larger end goal that benefits the masses of black people this is about getting some some sort of career in politics so yeah like to get a career in politics um yeah it helps to go to a really good school maybe go to a law school work within the corporate and financial sector and then get a job um working for Rahm Emanuel or Joe Biden like that so if you're if if so the real benefit for this are for black people who are purely careerist and yeah like they're they're you know if biden wins like yeah they'll they'll probably get a job because they're following the careerist path but they're not gonna get the good jobs they're not gonna get the big jobs right and even if even if they get a job that's not going to translate into widespread material benefits for the masses of black people that improve black people's lives and in some ways what they'll what they'll often wind up doing which often happens is that they're just going to work for the same forces that still oppress black people. Like they're not like when it comes to like, you know, questions of justice, like, you know, they're not going to be the ones to really 
um, stick their neck out because their job relies on them being um, compliant and acquiescent. Like that, that's part of, you know, because if they get too, if they're too radical and they fight too hard for black people, then yeah, like they're going to lose their job. So this is, this is, this is purely about careerism masquerading under the guise of diversity. But the thing is, is that the masses of black people, like we're not, we're not going to benefit from this at all. But what annoys me is that, you know, when they slap the word diversity on it, it makes it seem like this is some this this is a thing that's going to help all black people. Like that's what bugs me is that they're able to use this language of diversity and say, "See, this benefits all black people." No, it doesn't. It doesn't benefit the larger black collective in the black community. It just means like a few individual black people who are careerists they get jobs. That that's the distinction. And yeah, they might get some jobs, but that doesn't mean that um, the black communities overall welfare will improve it'll Mm -hmm. probably remain the same and like i said like when it comes to questions of justice um like i was saying that uh, what i've seen on the local level is that oftentimes the heaviest pushback when it comes to uh progressive issues even when it comes to race and economics and justice oftentimes comes from white liberals and um their black tokens and you know that that's actually uh we're going getting close to the end of the episode, but I'll, I will mention, I'll mention this. Um, it's like the local fight for ethnic studies that I'm part of. Um, yeah, we're still fighting for it, but the sort of the battleground has shifted. So now the real tension is, um, making sure the district, um, uh, passes and implements an ethnic studies program that is more than just taking one sort of elective class. But a lot of pushback we've been getting have been coming from, uh, I won't name any names, but black people who, not just black, I mean, a lot of white people, some other people of color and black people who, um, you know, like they're not really trying to push for any progressive vision when it comes to ethnic studies. They're concerned about uh keeping their job and making sure their buddies get a job um they're not really concerned about uh um you know having a robust uh ethnic studies program um i don't want to go too too much into it um because you know we're still in uh uh um sort of discussions but i i do for the purpose of this podcast i think it's worth mentioning that um, this is what sometimes happens with like these political fights is that um, when it comes to fighting for black people, there are going to be some black people who are not fully committed and they're going yeah. to, be, they're going to be more committed to preserving their job and their career and their access to, you know, the white American system versus fighting for true liberation for black people and other oppressed people but you know especially black folks because that's the community that's the community that's the community that that they come from and they oftentimes use like their race as as a form of hey i'm here to like you know diversify and i'm here to fight for black people it's like no you're just there for a career that's that's Mm -hmm. that's what you want you're not really not really invested invested in any kind of fight 
But yeah, that's something I've noticed on a local level, school board, city councils. So um, it makes sense like why, uh, I mean, uh, black, because the thing about, the thing about, uh, remember what I said, Peter, months ago, that black politics is dead? Yeah. Remember, this is, this is why I said that. It's, it's shit like this is why I said that black yeah. politics is dead. It's because most of the black political energy gets sucked up into the Democratic Party. So these black Democrats, as political refers them to, they're just Democrats. They are just standard issue Democrats, but they just happen to be black. They're not fighting for black people or any independent black political agenda. That's not what they're there for. They are there to basically do what Pelosi and Schumer and Biden and th- they're on their team. They're not on the mm-hmm. side of what of 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 black people collectively. Um, so yeah, that's why I said that black politics is dead, and this is a good example of why black politics is dead. So, yeah. Anyway, but then again, voodoo is an African tradition, so. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that that closes out um, this week, or yeah, week, this week's episode. Oh, that is free. Um, but uh, stay tuned, subscribe. Uh, we'll because we'll be back uh, pretty soon for a Patreon episode, and mm-hmm. uh, you know things are only, you know, maybe maybe. Maybe everything will fix itself in the next week, and then we won't have a reason to have this podcast. Uh, <laughs> holding out hope. I, w- I would love to not have to do it. Yeah. Not that I don't enjoy doing it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think that's all we got. Yeah, so um, this is Real Sankara Hours. Follow us at Sankara Hours on Twitter. Patreon.com slash Real Sankara Hours. $5 a month gets you bonus episodes, bonus content. That includes interviews, readings, um, other, uh, other rants, stuff like that. So, yeah, support us. Patreon, $5 a month. Um, we'll get you all that stuff. So double the episodes, basically, for $5 a month. Patreon.com slash hours. That's it. Keep the faith. And stay dangerous. Peace. We out.